The sermon for the 20th Sunday after Pentecost is from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, uh, verses 9 to 17. Uh, the sermon is entitled, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes, these are the exact words that we confessed this morning. God be merciful to me, a sinner. As we dwell upon these words, it clearly emphasizes who delivers what we need. For the who is God, the one true God, the merciful God, that is only by his mercy would he send his grace that would make his way into the world, that is Jesus Christ. For who? That's right, for you. Yes, and we are a sinner, just as we confessed this morning. And as we sang hymn 611, the chief of sinners, yes, we are. And the great deception is what? Well, is that we are not. You know, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, for they believed that they were righteous in their own doings, and thus, because of that, puffed up in pride, they would treat others with contempt. And there he gave the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, the Pharisee doing Pharisaical things, that is saying, I'm glad I'm not like them. Those terrible sinners, because I fast, not once, but twice a week, I give tithes of all that I have. Yes, my self-righteousness meter is over the top. And I know you and me both, how we tell ourselves how far we are from being pharisaical. But as we truly examine our hearts and minds this day, how this parable is very relatable on so many counts. Because I think every one of us faces, whether it's overt or even subtle, the temptation of trust in our own self-righteousness, which again leads to contempt against others. Now, why does the pharisaical heart have contempt for others? Of course, pride and arrogance play a big part of that because pride and arrogance is rooted where? In self-trust. In other words, if I can achieve my own goodness and righteousness by my own human reason and strength, well, you can do it too. And since you're not fulfilling your end of the bargain, well, you deserve to be cast out. See, these are the words that would come from the mouth of the Pharisees, words that would be mimicked by their own little false gods. See, these words only marginalize the true depravity of what our sin brings to the table ever since the fall. That's the thing about righteousness, self-righteousness. What we 
are really saying is, I need nothing of the cross because I have myself and my good works. Now, this is the great deception, isn't it? To be our own little gods as if, as little gods, we can actually earn our own righteousness. And thus your faith can become so comfortable as it's nestled in your isms, your moralism, your legalism, your self-righteousness-ism. It's not a word, but it fits. Because soon enough, the trust in self, you know, we have that, we have that cabinet full of trophies, don't we, in our mind. Look, Lord, what I've done for you. You know, we have the medals adorned on our neck saying, look, look how many medals I wear. How many good things I've done. That must surely amount to something. The Pharisees, they had the cabinets. They had the medals. They, they, they dotted the I's. They crossed the T's and they curled the Q's. I just, that's not part of the idiom, but you know the point. They did everything, right? Because it seemed like they had it all together. That they in themselves knit their own holiness that the Lord, well, was addressing in their trust in oneself. Because sin is something that we cannot overcome with a smug heart or an endless list of how we justify ourselves. No, sin is that destructive that not even our platitudes well, they mean nothing. Were our works to save ourselves is no option at all. And we know this, friends. All of us do, right? We nod our heads and say, of course, that's right. But I know at times for all of us, they're deep in our hearts and minds. We say, well, I'm a good person. You know, I'm here at church right now. I read my Bible, I do my prayers, and I try to be a charitable person in my life. And soon enough, the eye looks at the world and says, that's right, I do all these things, and they do those things, and I'm glad I'm not like them. And there we have our pharisaical heart. And we all know those words. And soon, what do we do? We treat people with contempt. We use our words, our actions that seek and destroy. And though we justify these words simply saying, I'm just telling it how it is. Oh, how the arrogant and prideful heart is leading the charge. See, the trust in self. What is so alluring about that? It's because we hunger for control. That salvation is in our control. That our assurance and certainty is in our control that we are children of God. That our salvation, well, we have that under control because look at what we've done. And yes, the devil is right there saying, go do it. No need for God's word. You got this, the devil says. 
No need of the cross of the empty tomb. No need to flee to your baptism. No need to feed on the supper because you know what, friends? The devil says, trust in yourself is your gospel. That's what the devil says. But the Lord knows our hearts and he gives us his word. And he shows us the danger that lies within the pharisaical heart to which we all have. So calloused we are that sometimes we don't even see what we're really dealing with in our pharisaical heart. As we simply tell ourselves subtly, I can do this myself. I can do this myself. But the question is, who are we? And there Jesus shows us who we are as he goes from the Pharisee to now the tax collector, standing far off. From a distance. What did we hear a couple weeks ago about the lepers? They were standing from a distance saying, Lord, have mercy upon us. From a distance. Not even being able to lift up his eyes, knowing his guilt, knowing his sin, knowing that this tax collector could bring nothing to the table. Beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. See, there is no other way, no other truth, no other life. There is nothing we can do, no ability, no power, no merits, no worth. We need the one outside of ourselves. We're not in the control room pressing all the buttons. But there by the mercy of God, we rest. Yeah, I love our liturgy. As we confess our sins this morning, as we plead for the mercy of God. There we rest upon the subject to the verb. See, the subject to the verb is our Lord who does the verbing. It is our Lord who does all the actions. He is the actor. He is the deliverer. Humbled we are knowing that we need him alone and we cannot bring anything to the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humbled we are. Because friends, our frail words will collapse every single time. Nothing we can say. What is there to say in front of God? But God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, God doesn't send you a ladder and say, Mary, climb it. Do your best. God doesn't send Vivian a shovel and say, dig yourself out of the grave. You can do this as a dead sinner, right? 
God doesn't send Luis a New York Times bestseller book entitled How to Be a Perfect Christian to Earn Your Way to Eternal Life, does he? Oh, how easy that would be, or would it be easy? No, not at all. But rather, in His mercy, our Lord is the subject of the verb. The one who is merciful, the one who does this verbing as he sends you his word, his righteousness, his truth. And this word is Jesus Christ. This is how our gracious Lord answers you. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He gives you Jesus. The word does not collapse because it is Christ. This is your word given to you by the one who humbled himself. Taking upon this flesh. Great humiliation our Lord endured and he never shied away. He never folded. But he came to fulfill a mission and that mission is for you as a subject to the verb. The verb to die for you, for your sin. The verb is him working as he bore your sin on that cross for your righteousness. The verb shedding his blood for the forgiveness of all your sins. And there you have your redemption. The price has been paid, my friends. I can't pay it. You can't pay it. Not with silver or gold, but with the holy, precious blood of Christ. No longer held hostage, you are. But the ransom payment has set you free from sin and death and the power of the devil. The subject to the verb. Jesus rises for you. Who can do such things but only Christ? Who dies and rises and who conquers death. Triumphant he is for you. And this is your life. Your life is triumphant. For the empty tomb says you are victorious. You are righteous. And you are delivered. Yes, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, many would think in those very words, yes, God, please be nice to me. Give me another chance. I, I'll prove my worth. Let me merit my way back. Just give me one more chance. And all the false gods of this world will say, yes, go do it. Prove it, earn it, merit it. But you don't live by false gods, do you? You have the one true God. Where there you live by his mercy. For by his mercy you are forgiven. That you move and have your being by this mercy of God who has given you his almighty redemption. And you're already there. You're already answered for. 
you live in great joy and good cheer, knowing full well that as a sinner, you are forgiven because God has delivered you through the merciful one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon from Faith Lutheran Church in Moorpark, California. For more information, visit us on the web at faithmoorpark.com.